Disgruntled Disney Dweeb Podcast Number 5. Another crappy podcast production. Hi, my name's Alan, and I love Disney. Disneyland Gumbo. The following is a re-recording of what was intended to be the original episode of the Disgruntled Disney Dweeb Podcast. After some iTunes reviewer decided to blast this show for how negative it was against Disneyland, even though I'd never said a thing about Disneyland yet, mostly because I hadn't even posted my first episode, I got distracted with other topics that listeners called in about. Well, today I'm finally getting around to recording what should have been the very first episode, thanks to one interesting caller suggesting the very topic I wanted to start this show on. So to iTunes reviewer, Disney's biggest fan, now you get your wish. An episode that finally rants about Disneyland. Enjoy. Now, I'm a Disney fan, and by that I mean Walt Disney, not necessarily the corporation behind the name today. Back in 1976, when I was about seven years old, my mom and dad took me on our first big family vacation. We were going to drive from Houston, Texas, out west to visit Disneyland. Sure, we'd stop and see things like the Grand Canyon, Painted Desert, Newspaper Rock, and the Petrified Forest along the way, but the real destination was the happiest place on Earth. Growing up in Houston, I'd been to the now-defunct Astroworld theme park many times, and we'd made a few weekend trips up to Dallas to visit the original Six Flags over Texas. But Disneyland? Back then, I didn't even know anyone who'd ever been to Disneyland. Well, except for my dad, who got to go there in the early years, but that really doesn't count. You see, back then, Disney was special. I loved to watch the wonderful world of Disney on the TV. And when I say THE TV, I mean THE as in one. We had a nice color console television set in the living room, and I spent a lot of time in front of it growing up watching things like Sesame Street, the Beverly Hillbillies, and, you know, of course, Disney stuff. Well, that was a fantastic trip, and I guess we had so much fun at Disneyland that when we drove back east toward Texas, we just kind of kept going until we made it to Orlando, Florida to visit Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. To this day, I remember comparing things like Pirates of the Caribbean and some mission to somewhere ride in Tomorrowland. It was a lot to take in for a young kid who'd only recently experienced the first Pong video game at the local Shakey's Pizza Parlor. But I digress. My point is, most of us Disney fans have some kind of deep connection with anything Disney. Maybe it was watching that weekly TV show growing up, or maybe it was seeing some Disney classic animated movie at the local drive-in. You know, whatever. There's just something magic about Disney. Well, as the years passed, I grew up and took my uh, took many family vacations, actually, back to Disney theme parks, almost exclusively the ones in Florida. I remember being there in 1982 and taking a monorail tour around the opening soon Epcot. I remember going back in 1983 when that futuristic World's Fair park was shiny and new and promised so many more things to be added in the future. Some of them even eventually got built. And when I finally returned to Disneyland in 1995, about, uh, well, as a 26-year-old who hadn't seen the park in 20 years, so many connections got reconnected. I saw that giant well at Storybook Land. I found all those missing scenes from Pirates of the Caribbean. And of course, that Matterhorn bobsled thing. So much had changed, and, and almost immediately I started developing new connections with the park. Connections not so much with a cartoon world that I grew up with in the 70s, but with a themed entertainment complex that I grew up with during my later school years. 
Soon I'd even have my own traditions, things I'd see or do every time I visited Walt's Magic Kingdom. One of these traditions was the newly discovered Fantasia Sundays at the end of Main Street. They, they, they closed that place down and eventually removed it all together and replaced it with a shortcut into Frontierland. But boy, that, that stuff sure was good. Another tradition was the discovery of some great Cajun popcorn shrimp from a little shack out near the docks in uh, New Orleans Square across from the Haunted Mansion. Today, that place just sells McDonald's french fries. I kind of wonder if kids growing up today will somehow associate McDonald's fries with Disney. Well, anyway, things change. Heck, the Mint Julep Bar was even closed, and the sign was removed when I visited during the uh, 50th anniversary in July 2005, though the sign had returned during Christmas time later the same year. Now, the place still wasn't open, though, so maybe that'll be another connection I will lose. They've already got rid of the cool, sturdy plastic cups that minty drink used to be served in, but, eh, oh well. This isn't a podcast about happy trips down memory lane. Obviously, it's really a place to vent, and this time, I'm not alone in my venting. Hey, Alan, this is Scotty. I've got a podcast of my own, satercast.com, not for kids, but nonetheless. Here's my gripe. One, Disney food. Disney food has always been, even the cheap stuff, it's always been something special. You'd go in and, yeah, you'd pay way too much for a burger and wait in line probably a little bit too long for it. But when you got it, man, it was a good burger. I mean, it was quality stuff, overpriced, but it was something special. Last time I went to Disney World, lo and behold, I didn't get, and in fact couldn't find, my Disney burger. Instead, I found a McDonald's, an overpriced McDonald's, the same McDonald's I could run down the street here in Wisconsin and get a burger for, oh, three, four bucks, and that includes fries and Coke. I would go to the Disney McDonald's and pay five or six bucks for the burger and maybe half a fry, and the Coke would be, you know, another two bucks on top of that, and why? Why do you put this familiar standard food into a park where, one, I'm trapped, two, it, it makes no sense. Even the overpriced Disney food was something special to go see. So there's my gripe. Secondly, the last episode you put out was a little two and a half, uh, five minutes and 30 seconds of my life that I really enjoyed, where you talked about um, the Pirates pod, the Pirates movie, which I still haven't seen, and I need to see it. Here it is, August 2nd, and I see no episode. Speaking of piratey goodness, I'm kind of missing your uh, your other podcast, which hasn't been put out since 7-8. Uh, you know, I need my piratey goodness before I go see that movie. But uh, there's my Disney gripe, there's my gripe for you, and I'm looking forward to hearing more from you. Bye-bye. Holy sh**. I'd certainly say Satyrcast, that's S-A-T-Y-R, cast.com, certainly isn't very family-friendly, but it sure is fun. Thanks for the call. You guys sound like you have a lot more fun than I do about Disney, but I digress. Well, okay, here's another episode for you, Scotty. Actually, there was one before this, so I hope that satisfied you. As to the Pirate Comedy Show podcast, available at piratecomedyshow.com, I'll get right on that, really. I mean, I record it with a hot blonde and that bimbo Trixie. 
But I digress. You know, I still think that for the most part, at least at Disneyland, the prices, while high, at least give you a lot of food. There's a Mexican food place at Disneyland that is far better than most of the Mexican food places here in Des Moines, Iowa. But maybe that's not saying much. But that McDonald's stuff replaced something truly unique at my favorite park, just like it invaded and replaced things at Walt Disney World. So with that said, today I want to vent about gumbo. Now, I don't know how long Disneyland has sold gumbo, but I do remember seeing a big banner hanging in New Orleans Square for the very first time that wasn't there on any of my earlier trips, and it simply said, Try our gumbo, so I did. That sign, or at least a version of it, still hangs there today just around the corner from the entrance to Pirates of the Caribbean. Over the years, the price of gumbo has gone up quite a bit. When I first discovered it, it immediately became a favorite mill of mine for two reasons. Number one, it was cheap. Number two, it was real good. And number three, it was a lot of food for the money. It came in a bread bowl, but I found out you could ask for it without the bread bowl. You ended up with a plastic bowl of gumbo or chowder. The chowder is real good, too. And you actually saved about a dollar and a half. More gumbo for less money. It was perfect. Well, I guess someone figured out that people had figured out how to ask Disney to hold the bread and wanted a way to get more bread out of the guests, and soon the price remained the same with or without the bread bowl. Now, I'm just going to speculate and say that they probably dropped the size of the plastic bowls, too, but that could just be me being jaded. Anyway, after Disney's California Adventure opened across the way in 2001, the bread bowls were changed to uh, sourdough bread bowls that were being baked over in the new theme park. Now, I don't know what the old bread bowls were, but I'm thinking maybe they weren't sourdough, because I actually liked the old ones. Even though I rarely had a bread bowl before when I did, I, I enjoyed them much more than I do the current ones. And a strange side effect about the current bread bowls, or at least how they prepare them, was that you seemed to get even less gumbo, or chowder, the chowder's good too, when you ordered. Okay, well fine, life goes on, big deal. But this last trip, December 2005, I had my traditional gumbo in the bread bowl that I didn't want, but took anyway because it was the same price, and the portion was small, and the price had gone up again. It was only about $5 and some change when I got started with my gumbo habit many years ago, and I'd watched the price slowly creep up over the years. But this, my friend, was the final straw. At $8 and tiny portions and a bread bowl I didn't want, it was simply too much for too little. Now don't get me wrong, I still love that gumbo, but I'm afraid Disneyland has finally found a price that is probably going to make me not notice if or when they stop selling the gumbo at that corner food stand. How much is too much? Disneyland raised the price of a large soda a few years back and went down a cup size. I had a girlfriend once who went down a cup size and I wasn't very happy about that either. The corn dog wagon on Main Street used to be another cheap place to eat, and it still is, though it's a few dollars more than ten years ago. I guess it's the same everywhere. I mean, a Big Mac combo at the local Des Moines McDonald's was $2.99 when I moved to Iowa in 1995. Today, it seems like we're lucky to get clear of a drive through without spending five or six bucks. But regardless, the price of that gumbo is just too much, and it's, it's for too little. And in the case of this McDonald's food, it's too much for something that we know is not worth that much. I can't go through a drive-thru and get gumbo at McDonald's, but I can get a Big Mac and fries, which probably makes those prices even more unreasonable. I mean, we know how much a Big Mac should be. Well, pity that gumbo's so darn good. Maybe next time, instead of having gumbo for breakfast every day like I used to, 
sometimes for dinner, too. I, I may just reserve that gumbo stand for one special visit during the trip. We'll see. On the other hand, maybe I should enjoy as much of it as I can before the price goes up even higher next year. Your thoughts? Well, drop by another crappy podcast and let me know what you think. Audio feedback is especially appreciated. You can just pick up the phone and call 206-3090-227. Until next time, this is Alan, and this is the Disgruntled Disney Dweeb Podcast. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you think. Call 206-3090-227. That's 206-3090-227. Another crappy podcast production.